Unspoken Issues. Uh, it's the Unspoken Issues podcast, and we are going to be discussing unity. All 18 parts of this magnificent event that happened in the Valiant Universe. By the time this airs, there will be a nice little intro episode, so you will have a nice background of the Valiant Universe and the characters we're getting ready to discuss. You can It's kind of like a primer for you. Uh, to get into the Valiant Universe and be prepared for what we're going to talk about tonight. We're dividing this up into, uh, the plan I think is six, uh, six issues apiece, so three episodes, to- uh, three episodes total. We're going to be covering issues, parts one through six tonight. Of course, not alone here. He put it on the schedule, I believe. That is Dean Compton. Dean Compton said, we're talking unity. Are you ready to finally start, Dean Compton, to talk about well, based on what I understand from these books and also from what I understand about quantum mechanics, I've always been ready to talk about <laughs> unity. I will always be ready to talk about unity like yesterday, now, forever, like like WWE shit, right? Like you did now forever. We're going to do this all the time. Yeah, I mean, I picked this for sure. Um, I unabashedly love this crossover. I, I think it's the best superhero crossover of the 1990s. I think it is better than Infinity Gauntlet. I think it's better than Zero Hour. I think it's better than DC One Million. I think it's better than a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that comes out, you know, during this time. If for no other reason than it may be the one that has the most lasting ramifications and maybe the most natural crossover that ever happened. I just really, really dig the seriousness that happens here. There's there's certainly jovial moments, but this is one of the few crossovers of the 90s, and I would put Infinity uh, Gauntlet in here too. You really felt like the stakes were very high. You really felt like things could happen, and things do happen that, like I said, have long-lasting ramifications. So I love Unity. I love the Valiant universe. I There's really not a character in it that I don't just dig, except for, I don't know, who are those guys called? Uh... Psylords or something like the, the time people from the net, you know, they're like oh. the next level of Harbingers. I didn't like that one, but like I like just about everything else from you know, Dr. Mirage to the visitor. And this is the place I think where Valiant gets on the map. It's hard to talk about 1990s comics, particularly early 90s comics, without talking about Valiant comics. They were honestly the first company to really make a stab in the superhero market since probably the Tower and Charlton guys in the uh, in the 60s. I know there were other companies, you know, Innovation, Comico, but these guys got on the map. They were big. They was all they were treated, you know, very, very importantly, like, you know, like they were like there was almost for a while a big four. And Valiant was certainly one of that big four. You had Marvel, DC, Image, and Valiant. And there was everybody else. And Valiant was certainly there. They earned their way there with great storytelling. A lot of incredible world building on the part of Jim Shooter and the people around him. And honestly, a tremendous amount of getting the most out of every like sit they had. Because this is pretty much their Hail Mary. If this doesn't happen, they're probably not going to last out last that, uh, that much longer, but indeed, Jim Shooter does throw the big touchdown pass, Voyager Communications, Valiant. They get it done. Derry Wade also gets it done. I bet you're going to talk next. He's shaking yeah. his head out. It's like, it's better than Infinity Gauntlet. He's shaking his that. head no. I know he doesn't think so. It doesn't matter. It's not the first time he's been wrong. Won't be the last. Go ahead, Derry. That, that, that's high praise. I mean, Infinity Gauntlet for me is the is the the standard in anything. Yeah, yeah, no, but, I, uh, I would but, say uh, this. Here's the thing. The six issues of Infinity Gauntlet, it they might be better than this. But if you do the whole thing, I don't think it holds up as well as these 18, just because it's tighter. But go on. I introduced you, and now I'm still talking. That's rude. Uh, yeah, I, I had never read Unity before. 
Um, I was very excited to do so because I had no idea what it was, but I knew it was epic. So I, I was very excited to read this uh, this this big sprawling thing and 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 fill this giant hole. Um, I actually only read what we were supposed to for this, so I, I am still in the dark. But you know, obviously, feel free to spoil. And the the first six issues were great. It definitely doesn't feel like anything else that was coming out at the time. It feels more mature but at the same time it's got these these timeless qualities and a lot of ways if you know the backstory if you know who jim shooter is if you appreciate his work this definitely seems like the next step of what he was trying to do at marvel so certainly from that point of view and setting it against infinity gauntlet which is a huge success that happens right after or shortly after shooter leaves there this is almost like a parallel branch if you will so i i enjoyed it a great deal but i i knew nothing going into it i think some people and i don't think this is necessarily true but they describe valiant and like this universe here like this is what the new universe should have been like this feels very serious but like you know if you're 11 or 12 or older you can get into this without it like being so over your head but there's a lot here for people who are as old as let's say you know i don't want to you know maybe a 43 year old man i don't know who would be 43 (laughs) but let's just say one of them let's say one of us it's me this is (laughs) it's me Issue number zero of Unity dropped April 14th, 1992. So we are talking a 30-year anniversary right now for this, the start of this massive event. I'll tell you, a lot of good things happened in 1992. What a year for comic book. Yeah, well, yeah. When you look at that whole year and see what happened in the industry, it's amazing. It really, really is. And I would Um, argue that Unity is just as important as anything else except possibly the start of Image. But when anything else happens, like, this was big. This put, this, this, this dominated headlines in a way that I don't think that a... I don't think that they 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 wanted it to succeed. I think it succeeded more than they thought because like this was at the same time Tom McFarlane is getting Spawn going. People are like, but have you read Unity? Right. How could anything make anybody talk about something besides Youngblood at this time? Valiant did it though. Yeah, that is exactly right. I I'm mostly aware of Unity specifically because of Wizard Magazine. Yeah. And their discussions about it. But yeah, there's a lot of importance that goes along with this event and it made its it made headlines just like Dina's saying there so that's how i was aware of it was i was i seeing any of these issues no, no. because they were like it was one of those things uh, granted i'm not in a big metropolitan area where i was growing up but the lcs was usually on top of things i never saw any of this on the shelves and the it was hard for these are pretty low yeah it's hard especially to find. for the time right it is very hard to find some of the back issues that were happening in this event. So, Derry, did you say that you had heard about it back then, or were you uh, was were you completely oblivious? I had the Unity trading cards. I'm a little younger than you guys, uh, so uh, I was real big into that trading card. Like I, I was, I was that. I had boxes Hell and packs yeah. and stacks of them. Like that was my thing. That was my. I always tell people that's what I used before Wikipedia. Like I'd get Same. the Marvel ones read the back of those over and over and over again and just be like, oh, I know that fact. I know that fact. I know that Did fact. Did you know? 
<laughs> Remember that at the bottom of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was those, like, yeah, now I fucking do. Those little facts, man. Those those could change things on a playground. But uh, I had the Unity trading cards. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, if you've listened to our Ultraverse episode, it was the same thing there. I, I read all those things, and I knew the characters from there. And the same thing here. It's like, oh, I remember that panel. I had the, I had the card for that. I was not exposed to Unity. Unity started right around the time I started reading comics. So I don't even know that I would have considered looking for because the characters I wouldn't have known. Like, it's not like Spider-Man, the X-Men. They are vaguely in the media. If you ask your parents to get you those, they're like, yeah, fine. All right, cool. I kind of know him. But uh, it would never have occurred to me to be like, I want the Shadow Man. You know, it's uh, (laughs) but also kind of makes sense because now that I've read this thing, it's like, oh, yeah, these these are skewing a little bit, a little bit older. Yeah, I I didn't have any of these. The, The very first issue, Unity number zero is free. I had that. It's in my collection. I could not tell you at what point I got it. So I don't think I got it off the rack, as it were. But uh, that 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 one's definitely been uh, been propping up a short box. I can tell you that. You know, Unity Number Zero. Before we even get started in the meat and potatoes of this stuff, what what a deal! Like they give this away. It's free because they can't. They need attention. Obviously, they need people to do this. Let's get you hooked. Barry Windsor Smith art, great shooter store. We get you right to the center of this. Here's a million guys, and it's free. And also, and I think this might be just as important in a way, it's a zero issue. And I don't know if it was the first zero issue or not, but it's one of the first. It's like the first time I remember, like, I remember the Wizards Top 10, you'd have Unity number zero in it, you know, especially the red version, you know, the the the, 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 the giveaway to comic book stores of the give away i think that also got its attention because people's attention because this was a collector's based uh, market at the time this was like oh a zero issue even before number one wow but also it's a really cool concept and i think it's been utilized uh very well for the most part since then it's done very well here but like right off the bat that's two big punches it's a zero issue and it's free yeah and the next yeah. week Part part two is going to be here. So you got two. You got you know. I think these are two bucks at the time. Maybe be two fifty. You know, there. You know, maybe you'll come back and spend it. Maybe you won't. But what a gamble! And it, it obviously paid off. Like the first time I heard about Valiant, though, this is so wild. You're, y'all remember those Entertainment This Month American Entertainment ads in the comics? Oh yeah. Which yeah. in a way were also like you're saying the Wikipedia stuff. Like I would look at that and get what information I could because you got to get it where it is. Like oh, it's a cable logo. What's going on with cable? Um, <laughs> I remember the first time I saw that a little thing like in Dark Horse and Independence in this little section, and it had Evil Dead Army in it, which would later be Army of Darkness. Um, but at this point, they were still like calling it that because they were having. Right. Uh, Dark Horse did the uh, adaptation. I'm sitting here, I'm like, novelization. This is not a novel, sir. <laughs> Get this right. It's very important. You don't want to let everybody down. And then the, one of the next ones was like Magnus, Robot Fighter. And there was like a picture of the cover, MGNBS. And I'm like, how did Marvel lose Magneto? <laughs> because like, I'm like, I'm like Magnus who fights robots. It's got to be Magneto, was it? Yeah. Spoiler alert, not only was it not Magneto, it's a character about as old as Magneto. Oh, yeah. So that was my first exposure to Valiant. What about you, Jesse? I, I know, like I said, Wizard was usually my gateway into learning anything else outside of what I was picking up or seeing at the 7-Eleven or at the that that was where I was learning more about what was out there in the industry. I'm trying to think of like my first issue that I picked up from Valiant because I'm, I know that I saw it on the shelf. It couldn't have been uh, much past when Unity had completed. 
I know I definitely had Ninjak. I was picking Ninjak up. Okay, okay. In the back issue bins, I was able to find Bloodshot, Eternal Warrior. I got a, a, a decent run of Eternal Warrior. Archer and Armstrong, I never really picked up any of that. I didn't pick up any Rye, which I didn't understand. I would see these things. Boy, I wish I had those trading cards you're talking about because <laughs> <laughs> right, I would right. see Rye and I'd see Bloodshot. I'm like, how are they related? What is going on? You well, know, one's Vin Diesel and one's <laughs> Japanese. That's That's how I... File them more. Perfect. <laughs> That's what the trading card said. Oddly For, precious somehow. Strange. Very strange. But yeah, I'd say probably it was mostly most likely wizard and maybe seeing it at the LCS and then finally just taking a chance and being like, I'm gonna try this. This looks pretty cool, you know, and, and just see what it was like. Did I understand what was going on? I mean, it felt very much like a different superhero universe to me. At that age, when I was reading these things, when I was reading Valiant, the thing that I was paying attention to the most was the art style. I've, I've told you guys many a times, I'm sure, I'm an image guy. I really, I, you know, I'm following McFarlane, Liefeld, all these guys, Eric Larson. I'm following that universe. And then I look at the art style there and compare it to what we were getting in Valiant comics. And uh, to me, this was just me. I, I didn't like it. It just was stylistically, it didn't well, speak to me. With the exception of David Lapham, it's a lot less flashy. Right. You know, I mean, and, and this is Barely. where uh, Lapham cuts his teeth. And he's already amazing. Like, he's penciled, like, eight comics, and he's already knocking this shit out of the park or whatever. Right. But, like, you, you know, they did have a house style, and it was much more focused on storytelling than Story. it was looking flashy. And, yeah, at that age, you know, I mean, you know, Stormwatch looks a lot cooler than... Turok in a lot of ways. Right, right. It just does. Uh, I do have probably three copies of Turok number one sitting over here. Somewhere. Oh man, that was that was hot. <laughs> that was a hot comic. We were gonna make a million dollars. I bought that comic and I had my parents put it in a safe. No, come on, dude. To to that one. You Me did. and two million other motherfuckers. <laughs> Oh man! What's sad you know, though is it's a good comic, and honestly, you can argue. I don't think it's even an argument. Out of all these guys, Turok's the most famous. Like Turok, well, yeah. like his video games are legendary to this day. You know, Dynasty. That's where most people know. Like I think, despite the Bloodshot movie, I think more people know Turok. Well, yeah, wait, we 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 got to start with that. I, I you asked before, like our first contact. I played Turok Dinosaur Hunter on the Nintendo sixty four every afternoon for three months and it wasn't until i it was someone else's turn and i was looking at the box and i saw like acclaimed comics or so it didn't even occur to me that this was a comic book and everyone was like you're the comic guy you don't know this nonsense it's like i never heard of this guy before and then you know you go to the lcs and it's like oh yeah turok dinosaur hunter used to be turok son of stone used to be hanging out with i don't know dr solar or whatever so yeah i'm i'm with you like i played that video game before i even knew what a valiant was yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think that for a lot of people, that's that's they know they probably, you know, I mean, Shadow Man even had a critically acclaimed video game. I don't think it sold super well, but I believe it was if memory serves, it was well received. I could be wrong, but like I was just going to ask if anybody played the Shadow Man game. The Shadow I never Man played the Shadow Man. It came, game. It came no, out on I mean, N sixty four. I didn't have um, an N sixty four. I had a PlayStation. So wanna, okay, let's go ahead. We'll get into our first issue. Unity number zero. Chapter 1, Ends of the Earth. Written by Jim Shooter, penciled by Barry Windsor Smith, inked by Bob Layton, and colored by Janet Jackson. April 15th, 1991, a young woman is sucked into a black hole in Muskegee, Oklahoma. October 23rd, 1991, six months later, the same woman is now transported into the sky and falls into Chicago, Illinois. April 4th, 1992, 
Solar and Jeff, the Geomancer, are at the home of Erica Pierce, who has been murdered along with her husband by someone that looks just like her and happens to look just like the woman we see in the beginning of this issue. The doppelganger also kidnapped Erica's son, Albert. Jeff is worried this is a demon that has been foretold to end everything. The pair believe she may be hiding in another universe and head there to find her. Once there, they are in a strange world where dinosaurs and machines coexist called the Lost Land. Sensing they may be outmatched, Jeff asks Solar to send him back to Earth so he can tell Gilad, the Eternal Warrior, to come help. Solar detaches his hand, giving it to Jeff, allowing him the power to teleport. The hand seems to guide Jeff to recruit some of the other friends of Solar's, as well as Exo Manowar and the team of Harbinger. Before making the journey with Jeff, Gilad goes to his brother Armstrong, who is currently palling around with his friend Archer. They all head to the Lost Land where they meet up with Solar, who is also joined by some residents of the 41st century, 4001 to be exact, Super Samurai Rai, Magnus the Robot Fighter, and another Gilad from the future. We also get a glimpse at Erica Pierce's motivation, as she is trying to set things right because she blames Solar for sending her through the black hole and ending the universe she was living in. Aware of the hero's arrival, she sends legions of followers after the team intent on killing Solar in order to unite all of existence in her own reality. This is a perfect start to this event. We get our start of the story as Jeff the Geomancer and Solar try to prepare for Erica Pierce and her plan for unity by recruiting other heroes to stop her. So our big bad in here as covered in the synopsis, is Erica Pierce, you know, a lady who found uh, her, you know, she's a little upset at Solar because her current circumstances are basically a result of something that he did. And I'm going to say in another timeline, because what's happened? What basically he, happened was Solar, when he got his powers in the Valley Universe, he accidentally, he actually created a black hole and destroyed everything. That happens. So he rebuilt everything. As well he as well he could. And that's why throughout this mother god, Eric appears is like, You fucking fucked it up, you know? And he's like, Yeah, but I wasn't I didn't really want to rebuild everything anyway. You want you want to. This was a mistake. Right. You know. So apparently somehow she would because of the uh because of the black hole and everything it created, it also created like uh let's call them uh dimensional fissures. So there's a lot of different solars now. One of the solars will go on to hook up with Void, which will create the Deathmate universe later That's on. Right, baby. But but like so he met a bunch of his other selves. And so like in one universe, somehow that Erica Pierce oh, hopped over to the world that like survived the black hole, hopped to the world that like let's prime solar, the prime value universe, where like, you know, Eric where Erica Pierce would just like kill her husband, kill herself. And everything she hopped over there, just killed her, took Albert. So you know, and that'll be more later once we talk about this, people. But that's what. Uh, but that's where. Uh, that's why Mother God's mad because, like, yeah, that's you know, that's, that's basically it. That's what I was she's, trying to do. I wanted to make sure I understood her motivation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can tell throughout this whole series. Yeah, she's upset about something. And it's combined uh, I, with I, an incredibly abusive past. Her father was abusive. Her right. husband was abusive. So now she has all this power. But but you know, and she she wants to remake everything and make it clean and neat and without no, everyone everything will be perfect. And that is something that victims of abuse, being one myself, that you try and do. You try and make like I'll create, I'll redo everything, and it never works on a personal level. I assume it would also not work on a cosmic level. But having never had cosmic level power. I don't know. 
having had personal level power, man, not a great idea. Still, still tough. Yeah, right, I, mean, right, I couldn't, right, right. couldn't imagine like trying to do it on a cosmic level. Jeez. Yeah, like now, right. now if I had cosmic level power, I'd just be like, oh my god, can I just have like a bunch of Fritos? You know, like <laughs> you know, I, like, yeah, yeah, I just dude, sit here, read comics, I don't do anything. Listen, you know, but geez. like, but like when I was younger and still dealing with some of those traumas, which she obviously is not dealt with, I'd be like, I'll remake everything and it'll be perfect for everyone. Now I'm like, oh man. What if I could just go back and talk to Jack Kirby for twenty minutes? Yeah, you, know, right. you know, like right. now my now my aims are much less grandiose. What if nobody went hungry? That'd be sweet. Barry, do you have any notes on Unity Number Zero here? Anything that you yourself took from this issue? Yes, I I have to say, out of all the issues that we read for tonight, this one was my favorite. Um, for a bunch of reasons. Uh, first of all, Barry Windsor Smith, I love him. I, obviously, he hasn't done as much work as some of the more uh, prolific comic book artists, especially of this era. But the, the guy's great. The guy's never drawn a bad comic that I have been exposed to. So seeing his name on this entire thing was a delight. There, See? There you go. He, uh, it's, it's some of his early X-Men work. One of them's not great. Okay, I believe. But like, but you know what? For him, like, not great is still like, okay, well, this will get you a seventy-eight, which is still not bad. Yeah, I can't draw a, a stick figure, so I, I, I mean, I, 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 I know nothing. I also know nothing about art. I, I always feel very yeah. bad as a comic book fan because I'll talk Same. about writing. Yeah, writing a story all day, but you get to the art, and I'm just like, that looks pretty, and I know that person's name, and then I got to move on to something else. People but, start talking about like zip tones and like yeah, all yeah, this yeah. stuff. Like, I don't know what the fuck that is, mm. but wow, that looks good. <laughs> you know, uh, and also I'm the same. I can't. The only thing I can draw is a conclusion. Oh, very nice, very nice. <laughs> I don't know if this is a small thing, but but I love that Unity opens up from the perspective of what will be our villain, because you don't know that. And, and going back to Dean's point of uh, her trauma and uh, her status as a victim, again, you don't know that going into it, but by the time she is all-powerful, and to give some context to people who haven't actually read Unity, we're talking like Dr. Manhattan. Like, imagine yeah. all the power that John Osterman has in the comic, the movie, presumably the show like that's the level we're talking about we're not talking about just very strong like this is cosmic reordering type stuff and and i love that you open with her and you see her you, you know you're watching her fall to earth you're watching her encounter people you know you're you're kind of seeing her story and then when the pre-existing characters the protagonists introduce themselves you're already like wait, wait, wait what's what's going on with that that woman and i really like that because it pulled me in it's like oh what is her story and then by the time you see that she's the, the arch villain the reason they're all going to team up it's like oh yeah okay cool because i want to know why she's like that and what she's looking to accomplish and how she's going to go about it and seeing all these characters who not super familiar with because i wasn't reading their books up until that point it's almost again to go back to the infinity gauntlet it's like well cool i'm following thanos i know the marvel characters are going to fight him i want to know why that's going to be interesting it's the same thing here you set up the villain and the the heroes can't help but look good going up against her so i, I thought that was a great way to open it as far as barry windsor smith goes I, i'm kind of lukewarm nobody's you know, ever said they were lukewarm about barry windsor smith before not right? hear how much he loves jim lee i, I come on you gotta listen i, I, I will to probably him. i mean i've myself, only ever heard me. people be like i hate him or i or, or i love him that's the first time i was like i'm sort of the middle of the road on barry windsor smith i mean i'm just never i mean you know people are like i'm middle of the road on rick levens you know what i mean like you know i mean <laughs> 
He uh, he penciled Captain America for a little bit. He did the Cap Wolf stuff. But the point is, like, that's a guy you're like, ah, I can take him or leave him. He's like, I can take or leave Barry Windsor Smith. That's wild. Go on, puke worm. All right, all right. He all hates right, the then. British. We've seen that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, we we left him behind. Yeah, we left them. I don't got time for them. No, for real, for real. Go on about it. I'm not. Oh I'm not. well, no, I, I wasn't. Mainly, what I was going to kind of segue to is the coloring. The coloring on this book it really stands out to me. Like, yeah. if you take a good look at how things are colored it's really spectacular a lot of detail uh you know the solar I, I, what do we want to call these solar flares the 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 things that are like multicolored, like slivers of i don't know it's i'm gonna energy. call them solar flares there you go okay that I is mean, yeah solar flares works for me i don't want to get confused i don't want to confuse people but i mean these things look really neat and they're you see them pop up throughout the event but again i i just want to say that i respect where respect is due. I think one of the things that pops out at me usually in most Valiant comics is the coloring. And I, I don't know why that is, but our colorist here is Janet Jackson. Uh, Janet Jackson Compass- is very talented and she doesn't get near the credit that she deserves, not just for coloring, but she's done a bunch of like promotional art, merchandising art. Like if you ever saw like the LG and X-Men eight uh, bit Nintendo game, she drew that like uh, pose for them. And she's a really nice lady. She's on Facebook. You know, we, you know, I mean, it's always fun whenever we exchange a comment or two really smart, really funny. And like I said, you know, really talented behind the scenes of like Marvel valiant and defiant, you know, a much uh, bigger force uh, among nineties comics than you would think a name that probably should get bandied about a lot more. I think that Unity Number Zero does a great job of sometimes, like if, you, like, say you go to the baseball game, right, and like these guys are like, "Hey, man, do you want this pack of napkins that has the Braves logo on it?" And you're like, "Fuck no, I don't want." But it's free. Sometimes free things, when you make something free, you can diminish its actual quality use or importance you have to be very careful with that because people are conditioned to think that you get what you pay for because oftentimes we do you know but in this case they do a great job not only was this free but you feel like you're like wow i got Obviously, you can't get your money's worth because it's free, but it's not like one of those things where, like, at you know, you go to the county fair, you come up with that bag of shit. You're like, why right. did I pick up this, like, feather pencil? You're like, oh, great. Oh, great. You know, Jackson sewage. What the fuck? Right? Like, you don't feel that way. No, you're glad you grabbed it. You might wish you had grabbed another, you know, just because, like, I want to put them side by side and look at it. Because you're right. I think, I think it's beautiful. I think the coloring's beautiful. I think it does a great job of, of getting the hype train rolling. Not pushing it too fast, but getting it rolling because this is an 18 part crossover. So you got to kind of pace yourself a little bit. You know what I mean? But like they do a really, really good job of of that. I think if you would never, and for a lot of people pick this up, they probably had never uh, seen the Valiant universe before. They also do a good job of basically capsuling everyone who's anyone at this time. I think except for Shadow Man is in like number zero. You know, so like everybody who's going to be a player, you at least see like a little cameo of them at some point. They 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 explain what the lost the lost land is, which it was the lost valley before this, and it predates Valiant, Turok, Son of Stone, and Andar. That was their deal. They went into a valley, and oh my God, now there's dinosaurs and shit. And, and it's important to know that Magnus and Solar also like predate the Valiant universe. They were uh, gold key characters, and now I don't remember who owns them now. Random House, I don't know. Um, I read that they are owned by Universal. 
Universal. I okay. Yeah, that, through that, some, through some, you know, someone bought someone who bought someone who bought right, someone. But, right. Media yeah. Monopoly. Ben Bagdicky and read it. It's great. So, so I just think that this was the perfect way to start a crossover, especially a crossover that a lot of people were going to be getting. That they didn't know a lot about the universe or a lot about the characters. I feel like by the time you're done, you are ready to read Eternal Warrior number one. And in many ways, as we said many times on this podcast, that is the greatest compliment that you can give a comic book is when I I, I close that last. I'm like, God damn it. Why is it the next one here? Right. Well, wow. in the year of our Lord 2022, it is. <laughs> I assume North Am in 4001, like they can do that shit too. Like, but who knows? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, Bims and scammers and shit. Who knows? <laughs> the only thing I'll say is, is uh, he mentioned the the lost land. I love this. I, I mean, again, I I, I know uh, apparently we we don't like BWS on this podcast, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's this sweet shit, white man? I'm with you. <laughs> he's, he's slowly. Mister Smith from like Conan, like like <laughs> one comic that got a C plus. <laughs> But like I love the guy. His Conan strength. His Rune Silver Surfer is amazing. We should cover it sometime. I love Rune. I agree. I, I love I love the, the, the Dark Horse shit he did. Weapon X. Uh, Machine Man coming. Somebody else, buddy. Jesse is who I mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm flipping through it now, and one of the things I really like is uh, he. He builds momentum. You know, I don't know if this was in the script or if this was just him sitting there looking at his pages or whatnot. But, you know, you 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 get a bit into this and suddenly there's superheroes and then there's dinosaurs and then there's a giant city that looks very Kirby-esque. And then there's uh, like robots and then flying dinosaurs and then robots on dinosaurs. And it's just it keeps building where everything is fighting and everyone's fighting and then solar cuts his hand off and gives it to the geomancer. Yeah, I forgot tells him, to mention that like the hand thing yeah, is brilliant. Like this, you know, we're 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 talking about Valiant in general, but like this freaking issue like passes all the tests like it's deep it hints at lore you haven't seen yet it gives you a ton of characters each one's fleshed out each one's interestingly designed a lot happens and a lot builds on itself so so again i'm just saying if you were a fan of pretty much anything and someone gave this to you and said this is free take it home yeah. flip it Flip through it when you have a chance. You don't even have to read this freaking thing. And you can be like, oh, I kind of want to know what happens next. Who is the bum in the the cap who appears to be super strong and hanging out with that young boy? I want to know more about that. And in case I forget to mention this later, Armstrong is my favorite character in all of Valiant. Uh, new, yeah, makes sense. old, acclaim. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I just thought if nothing else, it's a well put together book. It makes you want to get the next one. And it just, it builds on itself. This is not a boring crossover where it's going to be, you know, two people fighting for six issues. It's like right. the stakes are high and our characters are going to have something to do. Get the next one. This crossover is going to have kind of a Pulp Fiction feel. You're going to see like a lot of the same stuff from a lot of different perspectives. So one of the best things about this comic book that, you know, you don't realize until you're like seven or eight parts in is how you don't get tired of seeing its events again and again. And that is a credit to Shooter and Barry Windsor Smith as well, because you're going to see it. You know, you're going to see it a bunch. Like now it's Armstrong's take. Now it's uh, Gillen's take. Now it's fucking Magnus's or whoever's right. 
you know, and like even Erica, I think it's her take of this like moment for a second or whatever. And like, since you're going to see it again and again, it can get old hat really quickly. Instead, I am excited when I see it again. I'm like, oh, this is how so-and-so looked at it. I would also compare it to way I've never read these books, but Emily, uh, you know, my, my beloved girlfriend, you know, who's you know, on here from time to time, she describes Game of Thrones like that when you're reading Game of Thrones, because every chapter is from a different point of view of a different character. And so you'll wind up seeing the same events and you'll be like, oh, wow, this time it's so-and-so. So I think that's a great, I think that is underrated when you read it that they made something that would stand up to repetitive viewing in an incredibly short time. Mm-hmm. It was almost binge-worthy before we would use that term. You know, because a lot of times when you binge something, you have to see a lot of the shit again. And like this time it's like, oh, cool. And then that again, no worries. And yeah, also I wanted to say like in this part, they're like, oh, the dinosaurs are robots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Later on, the dinosaurs are decidedly not robots or no robots I've ever seen. But apparently Erica, uh, Mother God's made all this. She can do anything she wants. And I think the the only other thing we haven't mentioned is we keep saying time is not absolute. All times exist at the same time and value, except in the lost and if you go there like it's almost always the same time there and you can enter it from any time and this whole crossover kind of centers around that they get that over in zero two uh zero as well i shouldn't mix up the numbers they get that up over in issue number zero as well which i think is also kind of uh i don't want to say a heady concept but it's kind of a concept that you can lose yourself in if you're not careful and they do i think they do a pretty good job of making it clear and making it dense without making it overtly complex if that makes any sense you you want to talk about a concept you can lose yourself in uh, the very cover the cover of unity number zero almost the exact center of the page is the upskirt shot of magnus robot fighter that (laughs) that is distracting because like staring into the void there (laughs) it's it's you know there's all this color there's all these it's literally half an inch away from the face of I guess that's Shadow Man. It's just, it's right there. And the way he positioned it, it's almost like, we know why you showed. But uh, <laughs> in general, I find Magnus's costume very distracting because I'm always like, you do martial arts. Why are you wearing, why are you wearing a skirt? Like, I know you're from the 60s, but like, it why? is a tunic. Is that what that? Okay, okay, it's a tunic. No, no, I mean, I mean, it is a tunic, but my voice was just like, it looks like a skirt. <laughs> That's the same fucking thing I first was like, why is I going to wear the dress? Not that I cared, you know, or whatever. Even at the time, like, I just want to know what the deal was. And, and I kind of get it. It, like, you know, it's important to note that that costume and Magnus was created in, like, approximately, I don't know off the top of my head, 1964. 1965. So that looks pretty. Oh, men in the future will wear tunics that look like yeah, yeah, yeah. and smash robots with karate hands. There's like a faux high Roman Empire thing going on, right? That's yes, why I think yeah, Magnus. Yeah, and, back, yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah. Like, kind of done away with a little bit of it here, but yeah. Uh, also, let's get this out of the way. And Emily, speaking of Emily again, she wrote a great article about Steel Nation. The first four issues of Magnus Robot Fighter at the site. Everybody should read it. That they should read those issues and her take. It's you know, great articles. But one of the things she's like, he is the Magnus Robot Fighter is the most. He is exactly what he says he is in all of his, the history of comic books. Magnus Robot Fighter. What does he do? He fucking kicks the shit out of robots, and we love him for it. There is no mystery here, folks. No, no mystery here. No mystery here. <laughs> None. <laughs> listen, listen, you motherfuckers. Like, you better hide your shit, Ultron. <laughs> oh, I, would, I would pay for that. All right, let's get into our second part here. This is going to be Eternal Warrior number one. 
Eternal Warrior Number 1, Unity, Chapter 2, written by Jim Shooter, penciled and inked by John Dixon. Back in ancient times, young Gilad leads a pack of warriors against a warring tribe. His younger brother, Aram, wants to fight along with him, but just isn't old enough yet. Thirty years later, the tribe has grown, and Gilad explains to Aram things are getting grim, and that they must move on and continue to plunder, or they won't survive the winter. Their father believes Aram has grown soft and will fail the tribe at some point. The geomancer of that era warns Gilad that the Earth will call upon him to help it in the future. The next day, a raid on Mesopotamia does not go well as they turn Gilad's tribe away and then attack them on the outskirts, killing all of his tribe and leaving only Gilad and Aram alive. Sick of the bloodshed of their life, Aram leaves Gilad for a quieter existence. The geomancer of this time reappears and tells Gilad his son has been spared by the soldiers and taken prisoner in Mesopotamia. However, the geomancer tells him his son would be better off there instead of being raised under Gilad's vengeful tutelage. The geomancer invites Gilad to walk with him on a journey and maybe do some self-discovery along the way. Gilad accepts. Sometime later, Gilad finds Aram in Egypt. As they reconnect, Gilad explains that the geomancer told him that the world may need their help and he wants to be able to count on Aram when this occurs. In the present day, we see the events of April 4th that led to Gilad being contacted by Jeff. As he is on the phone with Jeff, there is a knock at the door and then bullets blast through it. As Gilad grabs a gun to fight back and protect his assistant, he dematerializes and reappears with Jeff in the events of Unity Number Zero. And one of the things I'll just throw out here, because we get a lot that happens in regards to the past uh, between these two brothers. And Aram Armstrong, it's good to be able to see. I mean, he gets crapped on because they keep calling him lazy. But a lot of it is he just he's enjoying life. And my take is that he's enjoying life. And the tribe that they're in decide to go. I think that's Mesopotamia. They, I think they decide it to go raid to be Mesopotamia. Yeah, yeah they and, decide uh, to go based on the uh, based on their weaponry. And based on the architecture, I think it is supposed to be Mesopotamia. Now, I'm saying that once somebody read it, it just says fucking Mesopotamia. Like in the caption, <laughs> I sound like an asshole. But well, like if, up, if you see ziggurats and copper swords, it's Mesopotamia. Okay. Well, they go up against them and they get their asses handed to them, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then Mesopotamia is like, oh, well, hey, you guys, some of you guys are still alive. Oh, we'll fix that. And then they send out the rest of the uh, warriors after them and basically wipe out their whole tribe, except for those two. Aram's like, okay, I'm done. I, they've killed my wife. He has hit his breaking point. And you see here where Armstrong makes his decision to basically part ways with his brother because he does not want to lead that life anymore. He doesn't want to go into that warrior lifestyle. It, it's not for him. Go ahead. I'll just say he's gotten his vengeance. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, he, geez, Louise, did he ever. He pounded that guy's face right. in. And like, continued like, to pound it. talking like, let's go raise an army and kill these people. He's like, I killed the people who killed my wives, <laughs> so I'm going to go not kill for a few minutes. This is probably my favorite of the issues. Uh, maybe Archer and Armstrong, number one. But I am a, a proud big brother. And, like, so I, I really like things when there's, like, brotherly you know relationships when brothers are you know at odds but also together and this is a great example of that brothers brothers are similar but brothers can be very different like my brother ray 
And uh, I like, you know, like if we're planning a trip together, I'm the one who's like, we leave it this time. We go here. We do this. This is how it works. When we get there, Ray's like, here's where the party's at. Like, here's here's where you can find. Here's what we're going to do. These are the fun things. It's a cool spot. I've already met some people. And like, because brothers can be very different. You take care of different things. These two have totally different outlooks at this point. It takes years. It literally takes like hundreds of years for like Gillen to calm down. You, you know, you're the big brother. Yeah. In this in this story, you know, Aram's looking up to his brother and wants to become just like him. Yeah. Did did you have anything like that with your brother? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't want to answer for him because that sounds fucking smug as hell. Like, oh yeah, my brother always <laughs> wanted to be just like me. But according to my little brother and little sister, and I'll tell you what they say, and uh, I don't try not to put too much importance on this. But we were like abused and neglected. It's a very traumatic environment growing up. And they both say that I set a really good example and made things a lot more stable for them. You know, I did honor roll, played baseball, got into comic books, you know, tried to do things and be very kind. And I wasn't always the kindest, gonna be wrong, I was a little shit sometimes. But they said that I set a very good example and uh, was very stable in a time when they didn't have a lot of that. And that they really loved me and look up to me for that reason that I really, you know, helped raise them as much as, if not more than my parents. That's something they say. I think they're terrific people and they'd be terrific whether I was there or not. And I don't want to take any fucking credit for the great people they've become. It's nice to hear those things. So yeah, for me to be the big brother. Uh, yeah. It, it, I think that there was a little bit on my little sister too. Like my little sister, she's into all the shit I'm into even more so than my little brothers, everything from like Dungeons and Dragons to Friday the 13th, you know, like she would be on this podcast. She loves superheroes, loves, you know, loves playing, you know, complicated board games, etc. This is not, a podcast about my life sorry everyone um uh, but like um she loves valiant comics so i do think there was there was some of that i think that unlike gillard i uh i give my younger siblings a lot more rope like he's like you're a fucking idiot what's wrong with you i'm like you know if he wants to be nice let him be nice although remember when he was aram's like oh I'm going to kill these kids by damming a stream and the fish will grow and eat them. You're like, what the fuck is that? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, but he is, he is a nice guy, but that's what I really liked about this issue. Uh, crossovers usually launch new titles. That's usually part of their, you know, event crossovers. It's part of their deal. This is an exceptionally good number one to be launched in the middle of a crossover in that like it takes you away from it. It's basically the story of Gil and Anapata, him and his brother meeting at different times, but it feels important to what's going on because it lets you know just how long the earth and the geomancers have feared the mother God. Because this guy's been alive forever. His brother's been alive for fucking ever. And who knows how long they're going to live. We know he lives till 4001 AD. It just really gets over how like this is a scope. This is a scope beyond like physical issues this is a time thing this issue in some ways more than any other shows you know time is not absolute we've been waiting for this a long time and and however long we had to wait it was it was it, it was going to get here no matter what and again there's really cool james bond type stuff that happens here he works for a solicitor doing like dirty work you get to see this is the issue where uh you get to see him and Aram meet up later in ancient Egypt. And I love the part where they're like, use the old tongue, you know, because yeah, if you were alive, like 57,000 years or what the fuck ever. Yeah. You don't want a lot of people to know this until the very end where he's like, now I, I think that's from this quote. He's like, we can live forever, but in this age of miracles, nobody believes us, which also makes a lot of sense, you know, because like, we're all too skeptical in an age where like you could go to the hospital and get like a fucking 
heart transplant and things like that. Like we would never believe that that's too beyond us. We have all this stuff. Like what the fuck are you talking about? So I really like the whole issue. I think it does a great job getting eternal warrior over. It's a great job showing us the difference between him and his brother. Great. Number one to come out of a crossover. And based on what I said earlier, this could be no surprise. My favorite part is when like he goes to see him in Egypt and he's like, listen, the end of the world's going to come Aram. And I need to know that I can count on you. He's like, yeah, you fucking idiot. I'll, I'll be there for you. Don't you? I love you. And I think you're talking nonsense, but I'll be there for you. And I think my brother and I, if you don't have a brother, you don't understand that. But my brother and I have said that to each other several times where, you know, not about the end of the world. Ray and I only fought Mother God once and we kicked the shit out of her. We didn't need all these things. <laughs> But like about other things, you know, it's like, listen, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be gone. I don't want you, I don't know anybody asking questions about it. All right. I love you. Whatever you're going to do. You know what I mean? Like you just kind of accept that when your brother asks you something like that and it's deep, you do it. I really like that part. All right. Derry, what do you think, man? The number one thing that I like very much about this issue, other than Armstrong, who I mentioned I've got a fondness for, though that has more to do with the 2012 Fred Van Lenzi series from the Valiant, the second or third Valiant relaunch. I really, really like the idea of the geomancer. So, you know, every superhero story has got their own version of the magician or the shaman or the sorcerer who brings knowledge to the hero or, you know, has that knowledge corrupted by the villain. I love the geomancer as a concept because I love the idea of the the whole world is waking up. You got a whole bunch of different sources of superpower. I made a black hole and it made him into God. You know, you got right. a bunch of eternal people with no explanation. You know, in the in the reboot, they try to explain it in here. It's just like, no, you're both immortal. Let's see what happens. And there's a bunch of other stuff. So everything's kind of waking up. And I love the idea that there's someone going around who is just in the dark as everyone else, but they can learn and they can learn more easily. Um, I loved seeing the, the Geomancer with Solar in the beginning. The guy with the little headband who's walking around with his hand that whole thing felt incredibly like, yeah exactly that whole thing felt incredibly like jimmy olsen to me like if you told me that there was a jimmy olsen comic from the 60s where he is running around with superman's hand and he's got to get yeah. a bunch of people to help mm-hmm. superman out of the phantom zone i'd be like yeah, yeah. that makes perfect perfect totally sense totally yeah that'd that be that cover there'd be you know oh yeah like well. You shouldn't have Superman's hand, Jimmy. He's like, but I have to. It's the only way to save him. And like Green Arrow's about to shoot it or some shit. It would be like that. The big fucking type, you know, at the bottom. It's like, why does Jimmy have Superman's hand? Superman's hand. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mark, Mort Weisinger, FTW. Yeah, seriously. But uh, it, it's it's good because half the time you meet a geomancer, it's not like Doctor Strange who shows up, who has all the knowledge, who's kind of cryptic about it, who's like, oh, we got to save the world. You know, we keep talking about Infinity Gauntlet, but even in that story, he's who the characters go to, and he's like, oh, yeah, man, we might have to sacrifice half of everything to save everything else. And here the geomancer is like, I have no idea what's going on either, but the world is talking to me. It's speaking to me. I, I think there might be, I won't say a plan, but th- there might be a way to get through that. And I love that. I-, I thought that was such a good storytelling technique because, you know, in comics, you can get a lot of information across with the visuals, but every once in a while, it's nice for someone to show up and go, I have no idea why, but I think we should go in that direction. It's like, great, move it there. And then you get another cool splash. So the Geomancers is one of those concepts where I don't think it's a holdover from Gold Key. I, I don't know if it's no. a shoot creation or a Valiant, but it it's continues all, all the way through. And it's one of those things where I'm always like, that's a good idea. I, I really like that. As for the comic itself, again, it just it blows my mind that it's like this thing was on the shelf 
with some very, very popular books. And this says, I'm going to give you 20 plus pages of just like, not even sword and sorcery. It's, it's, it's just like, it's ancient. It's like sword and sandal stuff. It's like, you also get the James Bond shit. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. He picks up the bikers and he goes to meet the hot lady who wants to have sex with him because she's got his jacket and guns. Yeah, when she's like, I want to get in the shower with you, I'm like, oh, okay, you, you're targeting an older group than, you know, right, I was right, when I was buying X-Men right, number right. one or whatever. Don't worry, I think you're old enough to handle it now. That's why I said <laughs> You got any but, questions, I'll tell you later. But even, <laughs> but it's interesting because you read this and, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, you were on the shelf next to this stuff. You weren't necessarily competing with that stuff, but you may have been a little too early. So I, I know this was a big success, but at the same time, you know, people always talk about like, oh man, superheroes dominate, you know, one genre dominates an entire medium. And I'm reading this and I'm like, I wouldn't say any of these characters are superheroes. And I find that really interesting. You would call some of them science heroes, some of them magic heroes. I mean, but you're right. Like superheroes in the world, like Exo Manowar is decidedly not a superhero. Like just decidedly not. No, at some point, someone someone calls him like, oh, man, you're just living like Donald Trump up here. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I mean, he's Conan in a can. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and like he's actually like a barbarian brought to now. He's like, oh, this is all stupid. And I can shoot anyone in the world with my super lasers. He isn't a superhero, but I thought about you because I think my favorite scene in everything we read, I hope it's in what we read, is when he gets the guy's salary and gold. <laughs> And gives yeah, it uh, to the labor union yeah. in full view of all the other executives at the company. And then he gets oh. up and walks out is basically like, this wasn't worth my time. Do not backstab each other again. And everyone's like, yes, yes, sir. Absolutely. And the, the, the implication is that he is like a captain of industry. No questions asked. And it's just like, make everyone afraid of you and play fair with them. And I was like, right. that's the best scene in this whole thing. You know, and I love that it's gold. It's not just like $195,000. Yeah. It's like, it's right. in gold. So like, yeah. you guys can just hold on to this if you want, whatever. No yeah. more talk of strikes. That guy's fired. We don't rip off our soldiers. Yeah. And you know, to get to, to get to ahead of ourselves, but like through unity, you will see that EXO is very concerned with anyone that he leads. You yeah. know, that doesn't mean that he's not harsh on them, but like he is not concerned. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. These guys aren't necessarily superheroes in the, the um, uh, yeah. traditional sense like we're used to. I find like going to the thing you said where it was like on the shelf. What's really odd is you're looking at this thing. It's on the shelf with like, you know, the, the, the image explosion, the rise of the Midnight Suns, Punisher Warzone. Later on, the death of Midnight Suns. I'm just saying, like, like, like. I don't think it was great, but they put a lot of hype into it. Yeah. So I'm oh, just yeah. saying, oh, yeah. like, I bought like, Rise of the Midnight Suns. I didn't buy Unity. And so, there, so there I, you go. Yeah. And yeah. hey, listen, honestly, I love Rise of the Midnight Suns. It doesn't compare to Unity, but it's good. Dark World's a sleeper. That's a really good comment. More people. Sleeping. I agree. But like, and also Morbius before Morbius now, but that Morbius series pretty solid. But like, uh, you have the death of Superman later, and like, you have all of these things that happen in the industry at this time, and somehow this Unity crossover. It's like dominates a lot of the fan press, dominates a lot of the year-end talks. That's really something from these guys. And I want to touch on the other thing you said. They're going for an older audience. And not just an older audience, but I think a more sophisticated audience. I think a good way, a good analogy here at the same time would be the Neo Geo console. The Neo Geo console cost a lot more. 
but like its games were higher quality. There was more blood. There was more of this kind of stuff. And they also advertise like they're like, don't be a weenie. And there's like a little hot dog, you know. I mean, buy our shit. Sega Genesis sucks. There's one with like the hot lady who's like, he used to keep his hands off me. Now all he does is play Neo Geo. But they didn't ever care about like me, number one. They're like, if we could get like 10% of the market, we'll be really happy. And I feel like Valiant felt very similarly based on their stuff. We have a specific demographic we're looking for. We have a specific amount of money we're going to put into it. We'll spend a little more on a couple of things here. We'll charge a little more because these books cost more than Marvel and DC uh, at the time. And if we can get 10% of the market, 7% of the market at the time, they probably would have been super happy. You're not trying to compete with Jim Lee, with Rob Liefeld, no. with Todd McFarlane. You know you can't do that, and you're not interested in doing that. So you're doing this other thing. But to your point, you do have to get him through the door. You have the Frank Miller covers. You have the, the BWS art. The Walt Simonson covers. Yeah, exactly. You have all of this stuff that you know people people will like, or a certain type of person will like. And then the other thing, too, and I kept thinking about this the entire time I was reading it, this feels like... Like Watchmen. You know, this may not be as tightly plotted as Watchmen was, but that's what this feels like. Like, I've given Watchmen to people who would never read a comic book, and they love it. And this is even before the movie came out. And this feels something similar. Like, there's a lot of stuff in Eternal Warrior and in some of the other books where it's like you want more mature stuff. You don't want, you know, superheroes are fundamentally kids' characters. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that they're. That's how they were designed. Yeah, exactly. That's how they were built. That's how they were sold. And that's how they were developed. And that's fine. But, you know, this stuff, it's like, to your point, it's like Eternal Warrior goes from murdering a bunch of people 3000 years ago to murdering a bunch of people today. And we still don't think he's necessarily a bad person. He's, you know, to quote Omar, he's still got a code. So it, it's kind of like, oh, you liked Watchmen. You like seeing more complex people who just happen to have superpowers. Check, check out Unity. You know, you, you could do worse. And then later on, there's going to be a robot dinosaur. So. <laughs> right. I think, you know, you really hit it there. In a lot of ways, this was competing more with uh, Vertigo than it was Image Comics. And if you remember the first wave of Vertigo comics, I think they they were not superhero comics per se, but like Animal Man and Shade the Changing Man and like Doom Patrol had grown out of superhero ideas. Swamp Thing's kind of a horror hero, kind of always was kind of bridging that gap. Sandman's its own thing. Uh, Sandman Mystery Theater coming up later. That's just a, it's not a straight superhero comic, but it was about a straight up superhero. So I feel like it was more competing with, you know, maybe those folks who, you know, like me, you know, I wanted to read, like now, I like to read superhero stuff, but unless it's kitty stuff that I was exposed to as a kitty, hard for me get into it now you know so i think that's what this was for i think it was like let's get some of these people who still want superhero stuff they'll grab sandman and so mm -hmm. yeah but eternal warrior number one fucking great and don't forget the part where he kills that giant with a what, what was is it it's a, a leopard call? Claw because leopard claw. the leopard spirit that's right i remember so them talking about that. And everything also him up. if you'll notice like in like unity zero and now here and then later like man they talk weird about ladies let's be honest like in unity zero erica pierce shows up and the guy's like you're looking good baby like she just teleports on the street like this guy shouldn't like die of like you know, like fucking because he's scared and has a heart attack that bad. Instead, he's like, "Oh, I better, I better sexually assault this lady." Yeah, and right. then in Eternal Warrior number one on like the first page, it's like, "Hey, Dad, we be I'm, I'm 11 years old. We beat a tribe. When do I get a girl?" So there, <laughs> there's other stuff that happens in this too, where you're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, dude. Let's jump into Archer and Armstrong number one. Which let's do it. 
I look in. I, I looked up on Mike's Amazing World of Comics. There was an Archer and Armstrong number zero, which dropped. I think right before Unity number zero. Its dropped. last page is like literally the first page of them like held up by that cold. Okay. All right. Like uh, that's yeah. where it ends. Like you know, right there. He's like ah. Armstrong being funny. The Jay and Silent Bob of the uh universe <laughs> Archer and Armstrong. I was gonna I was gonna say that. You you took the words right out of my mouth. Thank you. Great. Yeah, I, st- I, I stole them with my mental powers and sting over here. So Archer and Armstrong number one. Archer and Armstrong number one. Unity chapter three. Story and script by Jim Shooter, story and drawings by Barry Windsor Smith, story and inking by Bob Layton and Maurice Fontenot on coloring. Archer and Armstrong are taken to the lost land with Gilad. As they join the others, they are immediately in the throes of battle and they head for cover in the forest. There they are found by a man with the title of Section Prelate Reg, who wants some answers as to who they are. When Archer explains who he is, the prelate bows as he has been a devout follower of the great philosopher that Archer becomes. However, this younger version of Archer has not grown into that role just yet. The prelate decides to take both Archer and Armstrong captive. Reg explains the ruler of the Lost Land, Erica Pierce, aims to wipe away all realities except for that one and start anew. Outside, Armstrong looks to make a possible escape by purposely getting covered in dinosaur droppings. Meanwhile, Archer is still in the compound with Reg, where Reg is trying to learn wisdom from him, but when things get out of hand, Reg looks to have Archer executed. Finally free, Armstrong discovers a swanky bar where he finds Erica's son, Prince Albert, who Armstrong learns actually hates his mother. Sensing an opportunity, Armstrong makes an alliance with Albert to rescue Archer in exchange for killing Erica. Soon, Albert leads the pair down a long corridor to an observation room that looks down on Erica and gives Archer a gun, telling Archer to take the shot and kill her. This may also be my favorite book of the six, just because of the humor involved. Most of what we're getting here is super serious. Oh my gosh, we got to stop Unity. Holy crap. We've got to do what is going to happen next, whatever it is. We've got to be prepared. Holy crap, what's going to happen next as it turns out? Holy crap. (laughs) As as a matter of fact. But the humor in this book makes it's a great addition to to all the flavors that we're getting throughout this event. I love Archer and Armstrong. I love them. I, 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 like I said before, I was exposed to them when Valiant was uh, relaunched and rebooted in 2012. I, I think uh, the company still exists today. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I love them. The idea of an immortal. Not quite dead yet. Not quite dead yet. Good. All right. You, you heard it here. But the idea of an immortal who's just going through all of civilization, drinking, having fun, not really caring about the repercussions and seeing where life is going to take him, I think is very interesting because he ends up being as influential as his brother, the Eternal Warrior, who is constantly seeking out these giant conflicts, thinking that the world is going to end. I mean, as far as we can tell, they've had an equal influence on the world. One was drinking and running from things, and the other one was running toward, I won't even say danger, but toward the fight, right? So, I, yeah. again, I, I I love that, because it doesn't say one's right, one's wrong, and it says, you know, this is these are two people with similar backgrounds pursuing different goals and excuse me, pursuing the same goal in similar ways, uh, which is to see what comes next. But my favorite part about this issue is the Lex Luthor looking guy, the almost bald guy <laughs> clad. The, the prelate? 
Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. In, in, in purple and green, he meets his messiah, right? He meets his his ideological god, and he says, oh, yeah, no, I, I know that time is a flat circle, so I know that me meeting you now means you may not have had all of your great accomplishments. And then he pers- proceeds to, like, quiz him on stuff and then decide later on, no, I, I still need to kill you. And Archer's like, wait, I need to go through and have all those quests. And it's like, no, some other version of you must have done that. That's fine. I won't really worry about it. And I thought it was great because I've always read Archer's like this indictment of not even organized religion, but like organized dogma, right? Like his parents were very zealous, like overzealous and crazy. And Archer himself is, is a master in in a variety of disciplines, but he doesn't want any of that. He wants to follow Armstrong around and again, see what's going to happen next. So I just, I love this comic. I I love the type of thing where everyone's in mortal danger, but they've kind of been here before and they think, yeah, probably going to make it to the next one. So I'm not going to really lose a lot of sleep, but uh, yeah, you know, if you gave me all of, all of Valiant, I would just be like, please can I have Archer and Armstrong? I will write them for 50 issues. No questions asked. Another pairing quantum and Woody. Is that any? Is that good too? I mean, have you read any yeah, of that? It's amazing. Somehow, Archer and Armstrong are only the second best duo in the history of Valiant. Comics, <laughs> Quantum and Woody, Quantum and Woody are are decidedly it's decidedly the best. They're incredibly fun and funny comic books. Okay, all right. I I agree. I second that. Yeah, Quantum. They're and arguably Woody. the best books Valiant ever put out. I agree with that as well. <laughs> and also, certainly the best books that Valiant ever put out that Jim Shooter wasn't involved with. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Well, uh, Quantum of Woody was written by Christopher Priest, who I'm right. just a huge fan up and down of. Um, I really don't think that that guy uh, has written too many bad comics in his very long and very illustrious career. But yeah, to, to your point, Quantum of Woody came uh, years later, I, I think after they had been bought by Acclaim. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, very different duo, but so similar in tone that when Valiant was relaunched in 2012, they actually had a miniseries where the four of them kind of mess around with each other. Oh, nice. Del- yeah, it was it was called The Delinquents. I bought each issue on the stands. It is hilarious. They end up fighting a <laughs> fictional version or very thinly veiled fictional version of uh, the the company Monsanto or, or Monsanto or, or whatever it is. Um, the goddamn Roundup scumbag. Yeah, it's a, the Roundup people. Their their version is is only slightly is spelt only slightly differently. So uh, I don't remember which is which, but it's it's great. And the four of them get together and they're like, oh man, we should have been doing this all along. And it's one of those things where I I can't believe it's like the first time Luke Cage was put with Iron Fist and then it goes on for a hundred issues. It's like I wish that book were still coming out today with the four of them just messing around with whatever happens to be in the headlines okay i've heard things off here dean what do you got here man for archer and armstrong number one well barry windsor smith you know writes and draws this one and you can tell that it's a very funny book but it's got that british sensibility of humor not like too bad or anything but it's just it's just so like straightforward like armstrong's drunk and he loves it you know i mean like and that's a lot of characters on like britcoms that are like that like if you ever watch like black books like uh dylan moran's character is an asshole and he's like that's how it is and so like you know i mean but but armstrong's not an asshole one of the things about armstrong i like to point out to people too is there everybody's like oh him and his brother are so different they're not at one point they talk about it and like uh armstrong's like listen i'm gonna fuck up any nonsensical piece of trash that comes around me but no i'm not gonna go chase down a bunch of wars and stuff so it's really the same it's a matter of scope you know it's like who helps who helps more 
you know, Thor or Daredevil. I don't know. It's a hard thing to say. It's a matter of scope. Has Thor saved the universe? Yeah. If you're like a homeless guy in Hell's Kitchen and some like, you know, gang member shakes you down for your last like $13 and Daredevil comes and kicks that guy in the tooth and gives you back 13 bucks, that is your universe. It's a matter of scope between these guys. Hilarious book. You can't get enough of uh, you can't get enough of Armstrong um, complaining about being hurt. He's like, ah, he punches a thing. He gets burned. He's like, this sucks. He gets <laughs> shot in the stomach. This sucks. He hits the robot like that. He that he uh, that he cons Albert into thinking is talking bad about him so that he can befriend him. Hits his knuckle. He's like, ah, my fucking knuckle. You brought up Luke Cage earlier. Luke Cage does this too. One of the only super strong people who are like, yeah, I'm pretty invulnerable and strong, but that hurt. Like, I didn't like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, like, think about it. Like, I in my younger days, I could climb a rope, but, like, it hurt your hands. You know what I mean? Like, this stuff would still have some impact. I mean, not for everybody. Like, I don't want Superman to be like, ow, my eye! But I do want, like, um, uh, you know, like, sometimes for somebody to be this way, and there's no one better to do this than Armstrong. The interplay between Archer and his, I don't know even how to say it. He doesn't really worship him, but, like, his, 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 uh, his zealot, I guess his follower is very interesting because it, it really shows one of the weird dualities of man. And this is uh, one that I think we all have at different times. He wants something that he can't have at the moment. He's not willing to wait for Like he's telling him, he's like, motherfucker, I'm 20. Like, <laughs> right. that you, you know, like, you know, I mean, like most, most people are not, you know, the Beatles just shitting pretty good hits and philosophies by the time they're 25, 26. George Harrison, one of the wisest people of all time. He's like 24 when he's coming out with this stuff. Most people aren't. It's wild. So, like, he's not willing to wait for it, which, you know, is funny to me. But all in all, it's exactly what a buddy comic should be. It, it sets up one of the most important in what will be a lot of little moving pieces that are happening at the same time here, which is another neat thing about this crossover. There's a lot of crossovers like like Infinity Gauntlet or Infinity War, where all the heroes just show up and then do stuff. All of these guys are doing different things at different places at different times, and it's going to come together. And I'm not knocking one over the other. This was just a different approach. You didn't see it this time for the most part. Also, think about this. They have the same, like I said, the same philosophy to an extent, uh, Eternal Warrior and uh, Armstrong. Eternal Warrior is like, let's go this way. They both agree to, you know, clear out. They can't win from where they're at. Armstrong's like, no, we got to get away from this shit. We got to like, like, that's not going to work. But their instincts were the same. You got to get away and regroup. They did it in different uh -huh. ways. And also, I love that Armstrong is in the place. Like the deck where like you can do the drugs and all that stuff that Mother God doesn't know about where Albert likes to go because he can smell a beer. He goes there to get beer. Way to go, buddy. And like he's sitting there. He's like, I wonder where my brother is. You know, I hope he's OK. He could really use a drink. And then you see that weird shit talking about like muskrat dipping, like paw dipping, <laughs> muskrat love. I don't know what the fuck that is. And I don't want to know, but it sounded bad. It was like fucking Captain and Tennille muskrat love bullshit. I don't need this. It was wild. That Albert guy is a piece of work. I don't care what happened to him. Oh, yeah. I don't care what happened to him? Because if somebody who had a lot of bad stuff happened to him, too, like, you can't be this way. But what a piece of shit. I'm going to pop pills and break people's teeth and muskrat paw dip? I don't fucking know. Yeah, dude. The future slang. You mentioned this. You have this in your notes. The future slang rules. Yeah. So, you know, uh, scammers is like now skimmers and like bims for bimbos. And they're like, they're like, look at those bims on him. Squeezins. Ha ha ha. 
And like, I think at one point they actually like just truncate words. Like you were talking about, like suspect is now sus. They do right. that a couple times. I just really thought it was great that they were trying to get across that. And it's not just future slang. This is the lost world. People have been coming into this from all over. These, uh, the, the cult members who follow Mother God are there now. These scammers were already there. People find their way in here. So this is also like an amalgamation of a lot of different uh, cultures from a lot of different times. So it's just interesting to see. So at one point, I think this girl says to Albert, you know, if Mother God finds out, she'll hang us up by our squeezers. And I'm like, okay, what is a squeezer? I bet you I know. <laughs> I know what a squeezer is. But you have no idea. They can get a... That's one thing that's fun about future speaking comics. They can say just about anything they want to. Frack. Um, yeah. you know, Shock all, you, know, you! Uh, you mentioned about how things are moving along uh, outside. And they make sure to address that like every once in a while you'll just get one panel of like the battle that's been going on while these guys are doing other things right. which is great it keeps you uh, number one it, it isn't much that they have to do to just let you know okay this is where we're at in the story uh and then you guys can go back to your story that you've been reading right now the other thing is the best moment in this book and there's quite a few of them Armstrong getting crapped on by a pterosaur and using that as an escape plan. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 real clever. <laughs> That's all I have. Anybody else have anything before we move on to Magnus? Yeah, there, there's something that we were talking about before that uh, I, I kept thinking about. You know, it, it's this idea of Armstrong didn't just drink and philander his way through the last couple of millennia, you know, he, he also pursued like artistic pursuits, you know, every single time that a song took him, he, he, he followed that song. He's like, you know, I'm going to survive any nonsense you throw at me. So uh, I'm going to see where this goes. And, you know, there's the argument to be made. It's like, who had a bigger impact on history, the eternal warrior, the guy who went and fought the war or Armstrong, the guy who wrote the poem about the war that we still tell ourselves, you, you know, the, 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 well, which is more important, the violent act that killed the King or the story about that. And, and again, I, that's one of the reasons I really like Armstrong is it's, it's hard to argue that he didn't have just as big an impact on history as his brother who probably saved people and killed people and did a lot of Batman as crap uh, in, in time periods, you know, you and I can't even name. And not that he was looking for glory, he was looking for purpose, but Armstrong found his in looking at the world and saying, well, I want to make sure I express the emotion of the time. So, again, I, I thought it was one of those things where I just, I really appreciate Armstrong as a character. Whenever I start thinking about this book, I think more stories could use a character like that, almost like a bard, to wander around the background, to know they're going to be immortal, to know they're going to survive to the next era you know you need you need someone in the background of the legion of superheroes headquarters a little tipsy saying no no i knew superman he was kind of stuck up but his clothes were always well ironed some some yeah. nonsense like that to add <laughs> color to the story that's so that, sun boy's job that i know nothing about the legion i pick <laughs> on them because i figure if i say some nonsense about them it's probably true <laughs> but also i i believe shooter got his start there so i figured thematically it worked but i guess the only other thing is just that you know you forget that this is a reluctant partnership that like when our archer refers to them as partners, he's you know Armstrong's like, what did you call us? Like um, uh, and also the funniest part of the book is when Arm the the, the prelate catches them, he's like, who are you? And Armstrong's like, listen, I am a dung salesman, you know, because he sees that big pile of uh, tyrannosaur shit. He's just like, I'm a dung salesman, but it looks like you guys have plenty here. So I'll just be getting out of here. Yeah, we'll be you know, out. Worth a shot. Worth a shot. So uh, yeah, a funny a funny book. 
and just a, just a re- again a really good book. It's a really good number one to follow a zero, as weird as that may sound, too. Okay. Well, it it drops you in the middle of the story. I, I agree, and it drops you in the middle of the story. It, it's great yeah. too because it it kind of shows you why the characters work. Because it's like, all right, they were getting beat up by a gang, and there's some nonsense going on with his parents. But we're just going to move to this another story, and you're going to see how they're both are going to react. Basically, at the end of their adventure, right there at the end of time, and he's already moved on to something else. It, it, in a lot of ways, it helps explain exactly what they were allowed to do in Valiant because it, it really is a British comic. Like Archer yeah. Armstrong feels like something you would have read in 2018. Like I was reading this and if you had split it up into eight issue segments, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have been a future shock, but it definitely could have been in like 2018 or warrior or something else. I mean, the art looks like Steve Yowell or, or, you know, a bunch of the people who were working across the pond at that time. So it's just got that feel of like, Hey, in the UK, older people tend to read these things. They got a little bit more disposable things come and you can go a little more mature with it uh and that legacy works well in valiant because again i feel like that's who they were competing with this idea of like yeah superman's great we all like superman but get these don't stop reading comics once you get to high school read valiant magnus robot fighter number 15 unity chapter four story by jim shooter written by roger stern art by ernie cologne a new Geomancer is crowned in the year 3998, named Rocky, who has shown that a cult lives in this era that worships Erica Pierce, who now happens to be over 2,000 years old, and also in the last stages of moving her refugee cluster to the Lost Land in preparation for her plan for unity. Rocky is tasked with finding Gilad, the Eternal Warrior, to prepare for what is to come. Three years later, in 4001, Rocky is still trying to track down Gilad and finds himself in the room for psychoprobes. Finally finding Gilad, who lives a docile life taking care of fish, memories suppressed of his years as the Eternal Warrior. Rocky hands him an axe Gilad once owned, and he remembers the past in full. Meanwhile, Magnus, robot fighter, has recently returned from Mars and is agitated with his nation of Northam and has thoughts of starting a revolution. Over in San Gabriel, Erica Pierce believes all the potential threats to her have been stifled and activates her plan for unity, causing her whole compound and a chunk of the land around it to disappear. Rocky understands that her plan is underway and takes Gilad to recruit the hero Rai. After seeing the events in San Gabriel, Willow begs Magnus to take some kind of action to which he agrees. Magnus's plan? Head to Memorial Stadium in San Gabriel to face an old robot nemesis named Talpa to get some answers. All right, Magnus Robot number 15. Magnus Robot Fighter number 15. Yeah, uh, that's the uh, important part. Yeah, because he's not just a robot. <laughs> Magnus Robot means something like entirely <laughs> fucking different. <laughs> yes. I, the one thing I want to go ahead and talk about here, and well, I mean, the art style in this book is like on a completely different level. This is Ernie Cologne, I believe. Unbelievable. Let me just say that I really liked the way that this issue looked. It just says art by Ernie Cologne, so I assume he's on colors. This looks like pencils and colored pencils almost. I have no idea if that's how it was done, but it really looks good. Tell me about what you thought of this art style here. I had the exact opposite reaction you did. I, I really? found it to be, I found it to be very jarring, and uh, I I didn't take to it immediately i I had to keep rereading things because i wasn't following one of the most distracting things is just and i I don't mean this in like a a perverted way 
the outfit the two female characters have in the first half of the book, I, I'm just very confused. I'm like, is that just how we dress in 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 the four thousands, or or what was going on? But um, yeah, we're talking I just, about uh, Leisha. Uh, is it Leisha? And uh, oh my goodness, one girl looks like Electra. It's not Electra. Yes, though, I, but, uh, I mentally I kept referring to her Willow. as Electra. Yeah, yeah but 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 Leisha has puffy sleeves like full-on puffy sleeves under and, and boob under boob man and the then a shirt garment of all time right really is but uh, that, emily mentioned that when she wrote about this too she's like what the fuck is, is this sexy <laughs> what is this <laughs> It's not even sexy. It's just useless. No, it's 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 not. It's it's almost as if Ernie, and again, I don't know the gentleman, Mr. Cologne was drawing this and was like, I just uh I want to see how inefficient women's clothing has become two thousand years from now. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna draw this thing. He didn't invent that though. That looked pretty like when he wasn't on the book. Oh okay. Seriously? Okay. That's how Leech wow. addresses. Wow. I have to be honest. I, I have to admit this. I, I would say that Magnus Robot Fighter is not only the one that I know the least about out of pretty much all the Valiant characters. He's the one I connected with the least because I just every time you I don't buy many robots. It's not even that. It's just like it's like what is your deal? It's like you're a, at one point someone refers to him as a hyper conservative, but he's coming around and he's going to start a revolution and everything else. And I just I don't know. I, I couldn't get a beat on him, and I didn't know if that was just because he's from the '60s, right? He's 20, 30 yeah. years before this, and Shooter seems to want to be continuing that story at least the way the book feels if, if not a little plot detail so i don't know I, I i was looking for an inroad here and i don't know that i found it he definitely wants to continue some of the uh concepts and stuff but he turns on its head like magnus is trained by a benevolent robot 1a because people are too dependent on robots so this robot who's apparently the good free-willed robot like it's like trains magnus how to fucking like karate chop robots where their heads fall off and shit but it turns out that the free in, in the Valiant stuff, like so Magnus works for the state and he's really cool. Just like, you know, giving the fucking power bomb to robots, he's destroying them. This is great. But then he's like, he talks to one before he kills it. They're like, Why are you gonna kill me? He's like, What he goes, they just want to kill us because we're free will. And it turns out Magnus learns that these robots have gained sentience and they're tired of being used as slaves. And he's like, Fuck you, government, you misused me. That's the uh, basis of steel of the Steel Nation story, the first few issues of Magnus Robot Fighter. So he gets discredited by the state, becomes an enemy of the state. Then he does some cool stuff for the state. So like, we, we're not a traitor anymore. You're pardoned, but you're also not going to get the cool perks you used to have. So like, yeah, basically you said he's sort of a, a lackey of the state who's coming around. That's where he's at. And he's in a very nebulous state. And also like, he wants things to change, but how much do these people want him to change? And also, what is he willing to do to get it? Because ultimately, his uh, his ex Legion's right in this book where she's like, uh, you just want to play the hero and get the girl. But if you want to actually change things, things are a lot harder. It's pretty cool as somebody who's worked in activist work, like a lot of stuff that people see, like somebody gets arrested or some people like storm a building and do, you know, shut it down for a little bit. That's good. And people should do that. You don't see everything that leads up to that. You don't see like for every one person out there, there's probably like three support. 
support people. You know what I mean? So like, and I think Magnus doesn't understand that, but he wants things to change in an era where like a lot of people may not want it to. So that's Magnus's deal. I hope that helps. In the olden days, in the 60s, everything was as it seemed, much like other 60s comics. Like there was no like, if he punched a robot, it was a bad robot. Mm. Like, <laughs> The other thing, it finally clicked while you were describing what the what the costume reminded me of. It's uh, it's Zap Brannigan from Future. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just hit me. I'm looking at this. I'm like, wait, why does this look so familiar? This looked familiar the entire time, and now I can I can hear the character from Futurama hitting on Lita. So who now that I'm saying it out loud, I realize this guy's girlfriend is Lija. So right, right. This is. Dean, what what are your thoughts here on this issue, man? Magnus Robot Fighter number 15. What a way to uh, get over the legacy of the Geomancer. We've seen like four now in this issue with this right. issue because you see, you've seen Jeff. We've seen the gentleman who talked to the Eternal Warrior way back in the day. The lady, I, I can't remember names. I'm very sorry. She's the Geomancer now and she's going to pass it on to to this guy and they walk the earth and I love that. It's like Jules and Pulp Fiction. Like, I'm just going to walk the earth and they just walk the earth and let the earth tell you its stories. I love how he gets uh, the Eternal Warrior out of Psycho probe the psycho probe place where they've changed that and and, and i mean and also like uh, later on you'll be like when they try and team with magnus like the eternal warrior of i guess we should call him like 4001 because like you know he's this is a place where you actually have to refer to him as such because otherwise yeah that's gonna be fun come synopsis um, uh, but uh i love where at one point he's like i want to team with magnus that guy's a fucking fascist he calls all of them fascists i respect that he's like they had the psycho (laughs) probe in five times i really appreciate that like this really didn't take that's another thing that magnus doesn't like at this point in his life he's like these psycho probes are dumb i love magnus robot fighter i loved it i loved him so much just when i heard the name sometimes you hear the name and you're like that's it's all i need to know magnus robot fighter i know what he does and i like it you know immediately so it's a great issue i think i think i love ernie cologne here it's a it's it's a decided departure from uh any of the other art you'll see and i, I really like it. it gives it almost a um uh it's almost more of a storybook feel in a way and i mean that in a good way which really works for the geomancer conversations the walk in the earth you get to see magnus make a really great turn where um you know he's basically feeling sorry for himself and then his new girl friend who i don't think he really wants to be around or like at all or anything you know she's like listen you don't be a fucking jerk you know even if the state doesn't want you to do things you can still do things and when the cult disappears when erica takes her whole like compound to the lost land he goes to investigate i really like it he finds a way finds a way to get it done he shows up instantly you know starts you know smashing on that robot and stuff i i really like i just i think I think these are these are weird parts of crossovers because here things have got to advance also without moving too much. And I think they do a really good job of showing you more of the Geomancers, showing you how Magnus is going to fit into this without moving things too far along too quickly, which uh, that can be that can be a thing here. Yeah, the the only other thing I wanted to say is, is again, I, I mentioned this before, but I really love the concept of the geomancer regardless of which character is inhabiting the role and uh, w- one of the reasons i like that is i'm a huge fan of grant morrison and uh, grant talks about magic 
right? He 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 means magic when he says it. Uh, and um, with a K, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 a whole bunch of nonsense. But one of the things that was discussed when the Invisibles was coming out was the idea of of magic in everyday life. You know, you don't need to be a wizard. You don't need to know things. You just need to be very good at observation. And that's one of the things I really like with Geomancer, where uh, it's like, no, no, no. I, I I've learned how to listen to things. It's not that I've gained a new ability. It's not that I can do something that you can. It's that I've learned to listen to everything, not just people, not just anything else. And that's really on display here and kind of works really well in the uh, setting of North Am that they've defined or that they've borrowed, where it's like, well, everyone uh, is very far removed from where the reader would be. And also the world is surrounded by robots, some of whom are free-willed, some of whom are not. And it's this idea of like, you can't define things any longer by what is and isn't able to communicate with you because if you're a geomancer, everything communicates with you. So I thought that was a really good way of interpreting the far future. And and again, one of the things that Valiant lays out very well is they have characters that can connect to all the different periods of time. The Eternal Warriors always going to be there. There's always going to be a geomancer. The the, the idea isn't... From bloodshot on, there's basically always a ride. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They they continue this thing on forward, where, where, where no matter what era you're set in, you can have a story. And again, it's it's that focus on, like, they're not trying to convince the reader, like, hey, they might die in this adventure. It's like, no, they're probably going to make it through, but they're not going to make it through necessarily as the same person. So, again, one of those things that I think they're doing that I, I love and I would love to see other places adopt. I think, too, when you talk about the Geomancers, we focus a lot on listening, and that's really good. But, like, you'll see, like, in the Shadow Man comic, I think the real difference between, say, a Geomancer and, like, the guy who trained to be one or some people who pick up the voices, they don't just know how to listen. They know how to ask because that's what happens. They're like, I wanted this door to open, so I just asked it nicely and it did. I listened <laughs> right. to his stories for a little bit. We bullshit. I was like, hey, can you do me a solid? You're like, I didn't want this, you know, I wanted this dinosaur to come hang out with us, so I listened to it for a little bit. Boy, it had a terrible childhood, you know, and I said that I was sorry that its dad died, and now I can ride it wherever I want. You know what I mean? Like, so geomancers don't just know how to listen, although I do think that is the most important part. They know how to ask. And, and honestly, in getting your way, Listening is the most important part. They'll tell you if you're a salesperson, you got to listen first and then ask questions and listen again. You listen so that people will do what you want because you know what they need, you know what they like, you know what they respond to. That's how I get y'all to do these podcasts with me. (laughs) Good fucking listener. (laughs) Exo Manamore number seven. Unity Chapter 5, written by Bob Layton, penciled by Michael Leake, inked by Tom Ryder, and colored by Jorge Gonzalez. The day before Unity Number 0, the man we know as Exo Man of War, Eric, heads home to catch up on 1,600 years' worth of Earth's history. He discloses to his close friend Lauren that he was abducted by aliens in 408 AD and brought to the present day. In Allentown at Eagle Steel, an employee of Orb Industries named Ken Clarkson looks to rid himself of the strange mechanical arm he was given by Eric, but his arm has different intentions. After promising to not be deceitful, Eric assures him he will remove the arm once he proves he can be trusted. After a rough board meeting among labor and executives, the Harbinger team and the Geomancer appear, asking Eric for his help. He does not know what to make of them, but his suit trusts them, and so he goes along. Shortly after arriving, 
the group is attacked by robots and pterodactyls. Solar tells Eric to hold them off. During the battle, Eric is trying to understand the enemies he is facing, but luckily has some help from his armor to figure out what ways to defeat them. Unfortunately, some combined blasts by his enemies cause him to go into freefall, falling into a building and four floors down into a prison. Horrified, Eric watches a ruthless group of warriors called Scammers feed some slaves to some bionic dinosaurs. Leaping into action, Eric makes quick work of the guards but finds a tougher challenge in the Bionosaurs. However, the good skin, Exo's armor, comes through as he brutally kills the dinosaurs as well. Saving the slaves, Eric now exclaims they serve him, and he leads them out of the prison but intends on making the scammers his soldiers. Dean, let's go with you here first, buddy. Exo Man of War number seven. What are your thoughts? Well, again, we've got this like the lady stuff where like the lady comes to see him and is uh fucking like, you know, incredible like house. And, she, and he tells her his whole story. He's captured by spider aliens, and now he's got like an armor that they use. And she's like, Okay, I guess you won't tell me the truth. I guess I'll squeeze it out of you. Which way to the bedroom? You're like, the, What the fuck? Like, you know, like, like, why does every lady talk like them? Not every lady, but a lot of them. Anyhow, I love XL Man of War. I love the concept of it. I love the way the armor looks. I love everything about it. I don't think it ever looks better than when like Joe Casada drew it on the cover of like XL Man of War number zero so i think i think it's ah, just it, it just hits every button for me i really love that like you know, this is a guy out of time who has like the most advanced weapon in the world and he's starting to figure out that like the civilization of our time is almost as savage as like the stuff he did and again this is where i this is one of the things i really love about unity when he shows up in the future when or not the future the lost land when he's he's like ah I should like make a kingdom here. He's not like he's not interested at all. Like he's not he's not interested in fighting Mother God or whatever. But like he's uh he's more interested in consolidating his power. Like back on Earth, he's taken up the the corporation that the spider aliens used to own. Like he owns it now. He killed them all and he took it over. You know, and like he uh and like that's what he does where when he gets there, he's like, Oh, I should build an army. Also, he shoots a bunch of dinosaurs. That's really cool. And uh <laughs> He lets us know about, like, his stances on slavery, which are more complicated than I would care for someone to have. But also for a guy from the time he saw him, a fucking Aryan Visigoth or whatever, you know, it makes sense. And I also love how, like, um, you know, when they meet, he's like, let's go fight when all the heroes meet. You know, it's a good fight. And Eternal Warrior is like, there are no fights. <laughs> and, like, and if there's anybody who knows, it's this guy who's done nothing but fight for, like, 20,000 years or what the fuck ever. It, it's just... It, it's a, it's a really good issue. I like the stuff that happens on Earth, like we mentioned earlier, the uh, the union negotiations where he just gives them the gold. I like uh, I like his relationship with Ken, uh, his assistant. Ken worked with the spider aliens to like get rid of him. It didn't work, so he took his arm off and replaced it, you know, with an arm that'll keep an eye on him. And for him, this is what I got to do, but I'll free you one day. And then, like when he sees the slave, he's like, "Slavery? Well, that's one thing, but you can't just feed them to dinosaurs. That's terrible, uh -huh. you know." But then when he rescues these people, he's like, "I'm your master now." Yep, yep. yep. So like. I don't know. It's complicated views on slavery, but again, it seems like something this guy he would do. There is not an uninteresting page in this book. I have to say that as well. Well drawn, well paced. If you wanted to see a dinosaur get shot in every possible way, from oh, like cleaved in half with a laser to just like a big fucking missile coming out of its eye, I have to tell you, this part of Unity is for you. 
And I, you know, that's probably about it for me. I just really love Exo Man of War, the concept and everything. And it's one of the, the reboots in the 2012 volume that I really liked. I read it start to finish, and it was very, very good. You know, he really got that, that concept down. This is a guy who understands power and fighting. And in some ways, that makes him ready for our time. And in some ways, that makes him not at all ready for our time. This may be the first Exo Man of War comic that I ever read. So I didn't know much about the character other than, obviously, I've seen them some. I've seen the character elsewhere. I knew he wore armor, and by golly, you know, that armor was pretty powerful. But this comic gets across just how powerful he is. He is not really one to mess with. That armor is... I mean, I, I, what does he call it? The good skin? Is that what yeah. it's called? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is off the chain. But really, that is really actually powerful. what the uh, Man of War... Man of War is what that armor is. There's different levels that the spider aliens have made. Like, there's uh, there's Exo Commando, Exo Man of War. I think there's another one I'm not thinking of right now. Okay. So all that stuff didn't know. I just know I... Yeah, I mean, we get into this thing. That's why I'm here, baby. I know it. He's ripping a tail off of a dinosaur he grabs and complains the tail. that it's not sturdy <laughs> it's just this is kind of what i came to the dance for i wanted to <laughs> see some stuff get blown up we got some really powerful characters laying things down here but yeah he is a very interesting character you know this guy who's out of time and has a definitely a different set of uh way of viewing things that we're used to uh interesting character and yeah not afraid to fight and not afraid to throw down uh and use his good skin to his advantage uh but and then yeah just like you said he frees him he's like ah, everybody come with me you're gonna serve me now so i yeah i really enjoyed this Derry, what are you thinking here man the, the first thing that jumped out at me, this was the first Exo Man of War comic I had read, was how unlike Captain America he is, because he is a man out of time and he is a soldier by trade, but he gets to the modern era and he's like, no, every, everything's pretty much the same and I'm going to act the same. And, you know, he doesn't worry too much about the rule of law so much as he does the relationships he forms. Like, again, he his his number one goal is, well, do I have the support of the people uh, who I have placed in my care. Right. Yes. Well, then everything else is going to work itself out. I'm not really too concerned with that. So I, I kind of like that because it's almost, there was an interview where they talked about the origins of the character. And I guess it was half Iron Man, half Punisher. Like it was this person who had resources and power and strength and a suit of armor, but also a comfort level with violence. Yeah, uh, and, and Eric here clearly does. Um, this is. I always heard Conan in a camp. Oh, even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even better. I, I think there's a lot of overlap with. But yeah, uh, for sure. Iron Man, Punisher, Conan. If you put those three together, that is what's going on here. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know. But also, you know, distinct from them. The slightest bit of booster gold. Just a, just a, just a, just a tad. Mostly the money stuff. <laughs> he likes luxury. That's really, that's really. He likes luxury, though he lives in Ulster County, New York. I was not expecting to see a reference to Ulster County in Unity. I got very excited. Uh, it is not where I live, but it is nearby. Uh, and I was not expecting it, though. If you're going to build a giant compound, I, I would imagine it would cost a little bit less if you build it up there. So I, I was very excited to uh, to see that they're they're a little north of the expansion for uh, all of all of you following along at home. It's the XO mansion. It's the it's the it's the XO oh, mansion. I, uh, I like that very much. Uh, and then the the only <laughs> the only other thing I was going to say is 
when he's like fighting dinosaurs and flying around and shooting things and he's in a multicolored suit of armor, you almost get the feeling that in a lot of ways, this is what the image creators thought they were doing. You, you know, this this idea of like, we're going to take everything we really like, we're going to put it into a single book, we're going to make the, the main character incredibly compelling, and you're just going to follow his adventure. Because here you buy it. Because here he's like, oh yeah, dinosaurs, cool, those are older than me, that's, that's great, and then I'm going to kill a bunch of them, move on to the next thing. I think I founded a country, I'm not 100% sure, but he's also hanging out with the Harbinger kids. Like again, it's like one, two, three, four. It introduces a whole bunch of plot lines and it goes on to the next thing so i just thought that was great because you're never bored and you know unlike some of the image books which again you know contemporaries of this it's like i think you kind of know where you want to go which again would make me as an older reader now say all right put the next issue in my file notice uh the power of the geomancer that apparently the geomancer can talk to the good skin who is not created on this earth you know so i wonder what else the geomancers can do as far as alien life forms kind of like when alan moore did swamp thing and it turns out swamp thing can do plant stuff on like all sorts of planets i wonder if the geomancer could like talk to jupiter yeah because apparently you know uh apparently much like an apple computer in independence day is no problem talking with like an interstellar <laughs> life form the, the way i read it actually was was very similar to that uh where swamp thing connects to the green and the green is everything right and then you go to a different place and there's just a new green but the, yeah. the firmware is the same i kind of read that as as the geomancer it's like well you're listening to your surroundings and at the end of the day everything is made for matter and energy whether to your point whether you're you're swimming through jupiter you're walking on earth or, or what have you so again I, I really like that idea of saying well we are all fundamentally connected or we're all fundamentally the same i just have the added ability to listen to to, to the location i happen to find myself in so again right. to your point like i really like that because i feel like if i read a dr strange comic and he was suddenly on jupiter it'd be like Eh, this doesn't feel right but a geomancer story it's like oh you're an astronaut i want to i want to read this book one of the things I just want to quickly point out here, you know, at the end of this book, at the very last bit, you know, all the he, he's Exo has been separated from the rest of the gang. Yeah. And now when you start reading what's happening in these last few panels, he is he's gone off script. This guy is in his he's gone into business for himself, yeah. which is going to make he has it... never read a team up comic book in his life. He doesn't. <laughs> know. He doesn't... <laughs> no, no. He's like, are we here to start a country? Like, no, we're going to fight her. <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> the last few things that go through his head are they are my kind of guys. They will be my army. It's my war. I can do what I want. It's like, well, shit, man. What uh, you know, th this is uh, definitely a little bit different than what you we thought was going to happen. It really puts you in the mind of like, is this guy a hero or not? I mean, he saved these people, but what's going to happen? Because uh, obviously there's going to be some kind of an issue later on down the line when the rest of the heroes are like, what the hell happened to XO Man of War? We brought him here. Now he's gone. What's going on? I think so, that's another reason that I call this the, the best crossover of the 90s is a lot of crossovers and a lot of events at some point. Somebody doesn't act the way they normally would because they need to move things forward. That's not what happens here. Everybody acts the way they normally like. Like Exo's like Eric's like. I don't really want to work with these fuckers. I want to go do my own thing, and that's what he does. And there's no point where like a Captain America guy comes and puts his hand on his shoulder and he's like, "Let me tell you, we really need you." And they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna do it." And I'm not even not making fun of that, but it just. Right. But sometimes when when guys get together, when crossovers happen, people have to do jobs they normally wouldn't do. 
and they have to act a little differently than they would in their comic. And I don't think that happens here. It's not that, that this is all very like natural and feels it feels just as much like an issue of Exo Manowar as it does like part of a crossover, which is wild. And they yeah, do that exactly. like for all just about all the parts except for Unity Zero and One, which you know you can't hold that against them. Mm-hmm. Shadow Man number four, Unity chapter six. Story by David Latham and Jim Shooter. Written by Jim Shooter with Faye Perosic. Penciled by David Latham. Inked by Tom Ryder and colored by Jorge Gonzalez. April 3rd, 1992 in New Orleans. Jack Boniface as Shadow Man is trying to right some wrongs by scaring the living daylights out of an abuser. Returning home, he is persuaded to go talk to a man who has dire warnings of the end of the world. Reluctantly, he follows the man into some swamps and is told to jump in and walk under a large tree. After a couple of tries, Jack finally swims under the tree and emerges in a city in the Lost Land just as Solar and the team are in the midst of battle. Finding a young dino pilot soldier named Elia, Jack convinces her to follow Solar so that he may try to figure out who he is and why he is attacking the city. Elia takes Jack as far as Erica Pierce's tower, to which Jack jumps down and heads in. Jack has to fend off a few dinosaurs, but ends up finding Erica Pierce's chamber where she is already engaged in mortal battle with Solar. Believing Solar is the enemy, Jack tackles Solar only to be badly burned in the process. Sensing an opening, Erica activates a containment unit that captures Solar within it. The next day, Elia speaks with Erica, who thanks her for bringing Jack as he saved Erica and the process of unity. Elia then goes to find a badly burned Jack in a medical reconstruction unit, unconscious but stabilized. I mean, uh, Shadow Man is a lot of fun. Uh, later on, he'll meet Aerosmith, as far you know, and, and like, what a time for him later on. As far as I know, he never meets the guy from Madison Square Garden from the Carnage <laughs> comic who had the knife out. He was ready to go, man. If they fought, I'd like to see what would happen. But as oh. far as I know, they don't ever cross over. But he is a musician, so you don't ever know. Like, he could play that gig. And That's there right, he is. dude. He'd be on stage. There, the 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 cover of Aerosmith and Shadow Man yeah. has them on the stage facing yeah, off. Yeah, he's in the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so the big knife. Uh, he's he's ready right. to go. No, I, I like I like Shadow Man, and I like that he's a guy. He's just learning like what this means, how this works. He works better at night. He has to like really encourage himself to do things. He, and, and as it goes on, I, I love that since he's the neophyte, he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He knows he's supposed to go there and help fight this demon, but he doesn't know who the demon is, and he's got to make a call, and he makes the wrong one. This is a really good way to wrap up the first third of the crossover. I mean, it's 18 parts. You definitely feel like this is the end of the first chapter, you know, for the most part. You know, like, okay, the first act, if you will. Shadow Man is just, uh, I like I like his costume. I think it's cool the way he gets there. Everybody else does their own thing, and this is a way to show. They've been talking a lot about how you get to the Lost Land. You know what I mean? And they've been talking a lot about how that works to get to the Lost Valley and stuff. But, like, anybody can do it. But everybody you see do it does it, like, magnificently with some or like you know crazy geomancer stuff this person just like goes under a tree which is you know a tremendously large amount of fun i'm also a sucker for the trope where somebody who is part of some kind of rigid ideology and regime goes against their training for no reason and that happens here when he gets to the future and he meets the uh, dinosaur rider who he convinces to like help him there's no reason she should do it whatsoever and he's got the great line she's like i don't know why i'm helping you and he's like under this mask i'm a very honest space we're gonna see how this impacts everything else going forward 
it feels like this is this might be it for the heroes, and in the next third, you're really going to feel like the heroes can't win, and this is the beginning of that. Also, what an idiot! He's tackled like obviously Solar is like radioactive, and he's like, "Just think like it's the night, man. Just think like it's dark. Don't let the day burn too bright." Don't let he, bro, he's radioactive. Like you're probably already dead. Yeah, <laughs> my notes are Shadow Man seems to be the least powerful of everybody we have. He is a very important element to this story. Clearly, like you said, he tackles Solar. Solar, as far as we know, may po- may be dead, and it's all because Shadow Man had to stick his nose in his bu- in his yeah, business. Solar was about to win. Yeah, he yeah, was she could not close. beat him without like you know an X factor, and Shadow Man was that X factor. Right, he jumps in there, and if it wasn't for him, you know, this story would be going completely differently. We would have ended it. Shadow Man is interesting because not only did I not know anything about the character before I read this. But as I was going through it, I I just kept thinking, like, are you messing with us? Like, what is the like, what is going on here? Because it seems like I won't say he doesn't want to do what he has to do, but it's almost like he needs to be part of the story. So so what I mean by that is a lot of characters in comics say, oh, like, I'm going to be part of the night. I'm going to be dark. I'm going to be mischievous. I'm going to be someone else when no one can see me. But that is literally Shadow Man's powers. It's like, there is no sun in this exact location. I'm faster and smarter and quicker and more clever. And and I can flirt with dinosaur riders effortlessly and all these other things. Yeah. Yeah, and it was almost like the story telling you we need this type of character we need you know up until this point no one's even mentioned him like he's not collected by geomancer by the eternal warrior by the harbingers or any of the other characters that you see in the background he just kind of he just kind of shows up you know he's the shadow cast by solar if you will yeah Uh, and then something i may have mentioned before is solar who in the 60s was referred to as dr solar reminds me a lot of dr manhattan again for watchmen to me shadow man when again i kept trying to make sense of him i was like oh you're the rorschach of the story you're the one that doesn't fit that no one is quite expecting that wears a mask the whole basis for the character is the mask and you kind of like you invert what you expect to happen and 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 again as a result the villain is able to get the upper hand so i like that and and to dean's point it is an excellent way to end the first third again if this were today the first six issues would probably be the trade so you would leave off here and then you'd probably go get the next volume when it came out in a few months so i i thought it was really good uh i enjoyed it for that purpose i don't know if that was intended by the creative team again really no experience with shadow man um i think it was definitely intended to end it there like this is meticulously plotted yeah yeah the the only other thing i would say is uh for those of you who do not know in case we forget to mention it later the Shadow Man, I believe it's volume two under the Acclaims comic banner, is written by the one and only Garth Ennis. And I have read that and it is very good. So if you Ooh. at all enjoyed this, uh, seek out a lesser known Garth Ennis book. It is worth your money. Yeah. Before Shadow Man shows up in, in a lot of ways, I know that Geomancers kind of do this, but like there's no magic. 
You know what I mean? And they're just starting to establish what magic is in the in the Valiant universe. And not Shadow Man is, you know, he's going to be connected to like, you know, voodoo characters. And later on, there's going to be a few guys like I think Dr. Mirage can connect more with, you know, the magical side and stuff. But I think this is a place where they're like, if magic is going to have a place in our universe and we are in this character, he's got it's got to have a place in unity. And if magic has a place in this universe, it can't just look the same as science, which sometimes that happens in the DC and Marvel universe in a bad way. I actually like that for the most part because I believe, like, if you showed a, if you showed our cell phone to somebody from even like 1905, they would think it was magic because they could not tell that the the gap in technology between then and now just they could not fathom it or what have you. So I enjoy when those things, you know, are you know they slightly correlate or what have you, and see are seen as the same thing. But I also like when there are distinct rules about them and distinctions, you know, that can be made about how the characters go about things, you know. And Shadow Man, you know, like you said, they don't know who he is. He's on the outskirts. He's just getting started, so he has to. He winds up listening. Apparently, he's just told everyone his secret identity, which is wild. But he has to find his own way, swimming under this old tree, who apparently tells great stories. And the guy who is trained to be a geomancer likes to go listen to the tree told him, and that's how he gets to the uh, to the lost land. And, and I really like it. He does everything his own way. The other guys are a lot more similar. Like there's a lot more similarities between like Exo Man of War and fucking. Uh, the Eternal Warriors, and there is Shadow Man and anyone else here. You know, when the when we see more from the Harbinger, you know, issues and stuff. You know, you, you know that that might change my viewpoint. I don't think so, though. This guy has to be slightly separated because at this point, maybe it would have been better if it had lasted forever. Doesn't really belong with the more sciencey guys. This is the other wing on the plane. The plane needs both wings to fly, but the wings don't hang out. So yeah, we end the we end the story. This this final act, you know with uh shadow man's pretty messed up obviously we're, we're expecting him to make a return but he is in a he's nutrient bath another issue we'll see yeah what happens. we'll see yeah, yeah. he's in a nutrient bath and he's oh it's looking bad it's not looking the greatest all right it's been six issues we did it we got through the first of this three-parter let's close up shop here so uh yeah hey we'll be coming back to you here in a couple days watch out for the next part of this event and we're going to be talking chapters 7 through 12 of unity so with that being said dean compton tell them about the unspoken decade and we're at the unspoken decade.com you can look up look us up on facebook doing some more things on twitter and in fact i don't know when it will drop but uh i'm supposed to guest on the wizard podcast tomorrow oh. the with uh the guy the wizards podcast guide to comics apparently we're gonna be talking about wolverine and nice. I really like Wolverine, who does not appear in Unity, but I would have liked it better if he had him. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I yeah, mean, that's all coming up, and you know, we'll see. You know, we'll see what else happens. We got a lot of these scheduled. It's gonna be, it's a lot of fun. So check all that out, and uh, hopefully, you know, drop me a line, and I'll say hi to you, and I'll answer any question about '90s comics you have, just like I do for these two. Mm, we appreciate that's that. That's true. I just do true. appreciate that. Well, hey, you know, listen, the source material comics feed out there on the W2M network is where we hang our hat here on the Unspoken Issues podcast. And uh, listen, I've been doing TikToks. I don't know. I, I thought, well, I'm going to start trying these things, just see what I could do, as long as I can keep them under a minute, because I, I certainly don't want to start editing anything past that or I'll get grumpy. But Jesse's yeah. like, hello, fellow kids. <laughs> what, what is this a tick a talk here you got going on there's a nice little promo piece for 
the Hard Case Strangers episode that we're going to be doing. That uh, I just grabbed a little bit of an audio from what our podcast was and, and threw some pictures up. Jump on now! <laughs> there it is. All right. And if you Jump haven't up. jumped on now, then you might as well go ahead and do so. Listen, we're going to get out of here for Dean Compton, for Derry Wade. I am Jesse Starcher. We thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to entertaining you again when part two of this event happens, which will be in a couple days. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon. (laughs) 